Welcome to the Best Bits compilation of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where a bunch of dedicated fans watch and break down episodes of the ABC comedy classic of the 90s, The Late Show, as well as other Degeneration-related stuff. You know, other shows that they've done. (laughs) Whether you're an old or new listener, thank you very much for subscribing and listening on your favourite podcast provider. My name is Matt, and along with Alison, Daniel, Kim, Prue and Tony... We watch our own VHS tapes of The Late Show before they disintegrate. And we gather together in a chat room online and talk shit about what we've watched and badly researched. This podcast is made purely for fun and we try and bring back memories of an era that is close to our lives. Like watching The Late Show live on ABC on a Saturday night, then head to school on a Monday and talk about the sketches with your own friends. You know, like quoting lines like 50 bucks, like a tiger, what's all that about? Tonga, and there's all the other ones, you get the idea. But as you know, saying stuff like this in the general public will just give people flummoxed looks. But on social media platforms, you can kind of get away with it as long as you find that niche group, such as ourselves, on Facebook or Twitter or anything else like that, you can kind of get away with the reference. At the time of producing this compilation, we've already completed Season 1 by watching Episodes 1 to 20. Our first few episodes of this podcast were very loose and a bit pissy, but we enjoy them, we've done them and we can really reflect on how far we've come. But with your feedback, we have polished ongoing episodes a little bit more and we're always still trying to improve. A big thank you to all our guest reviewers in Season 1. Spencer and Nikki Halson, Danny Tregoning, Mason, Stephen, Dana Litch, as well as you, the regular contributor and listener, especially the ones who call out our bullshit and correct our unintentional errors. Thank you. We've also had some exclusive interviews in this podcast such as Houseboat Horror star Gavin Wood or that other show, Countdown. Altogether, now's Bruno Lucia because he was the butt of a joke in one sketch but also made an appearance in another. Plus, we have spoken to the owners of the Ned Kelly Glen Rowan Museum, all because Mick and Tony did that road trip for the postcard segment, as well as Frente's Angie Hart, where we got her right of reply nearly 30 years later since The Late Show made a parody of their song, Accidentally Kelly Street. We're hoping to do some more exclusive interviews down the track, so please keep listening. We're returning with Season 2 very soon with guest reviewer Justin Anderson, or you may know him as the oldest Pissweek kid or foolhardy cousin George. He'll be chatting about behind-the-scenes stories and what it was like to be on The Late Show, so listen out for that. Now, for this best-of compilation you're listening to, it's pretty much a bunch of segments from episodes 1 to 5, as they did go on for quite a long time, so I've tried to summarise it down into one bit. Just a reminder, the Champagne Comedy Podcast is not associated with Working Dog, ABC, or any of the names directly associated. A big thanks to Kim, who owns and operates ChampagneComedy.com since 1996. If it wasn't for her, the internet would be very boring. More importantly, we do this podcast for fun and in our spare time, so all we can ask you is if you can give us a really cool high-star rating and review on your preferred podcast platform, that would be awesome. That will be sweet, mate. And I'm not going to do that impression again. Thank you and enjoy. What was really interesting watching the title sequence was there's all this footage which presumably is from the pilots that they've made or from mm, oh, yeah. some of it's from sketches that are yet to air that they've obviously got in the in the tank. 
And oh, you see, no, well, the, the yeah. back credits, oh, it's a disgusting because it's full of stuff that we've never seen. Absolutely yeah. full of it. Like just yeah. different, it's either rehearsal footage or it's sketches that we've just never seen. It kills, it kills you to watch it actually. But I was expecting there to be lots of technical glitches and stuff on their first one and I've had it in my memory that that was like that but when I rewatched it I've gone actually it's not that bad they fluff mm. a couple of lines the, the camera you know uh, puts stuff on the big screen that it perhaps shouldn't have but who cares like it was really minimal actually looking yeah. at it from yeah. well, mm. the point for that one is when Ross Perot impression is up by Rob Sitch he's trying to deliver a joke or a punchline to Tommy and he's going he called me names and then he's doing like a little nod, like as in, go on, tell the next line so I can tell my joke. He goes, well, tell you. Poopy pants. Poopy pants. Yeah. Poopy pants. Poopy pants. <laughs> can, yeah. can I just say that in the news desk segment, isn't it lovely to see Tom Gleisner with hair? Uh, <laughs> right. Uh. It's, it's funny because I always... At school, we always used to think he was the bald one at the time. So, and then you compare it to now, and you think, oh, actually, no, he did have hair back then. Yeah, yeah, we were so mean to Tommy G back then, but now I think he's quite the genius. Like, I really have a lot more respect for the news desk material, you know, because it's just not something that you appreciate as a teenager when you're not engaging with the news. But Mm -hmm. even now, when the news is, you know, more than twenty years old, God, how long even is it? 28 years old. Yeah. Like, you know, even now it's still very funny. It's just bang, bang, bang. It's great. Did anyone else notice that the sketch with the Alaskan ship captain was shot outside the ABC Rip and Lee Studios? Yeah. I was thinking that that was such an elaborate um, setup, that gag. With the oil coming out the back of the stage. It must have taken hours. Would you like to know a fun fact about the actor James Condon, who plays the the man from the Hardly Permanent Building Society? I'd love to. Uh, Go on. Thank you to IMDb for this. Um, He is actually (laughs) of Anne Haddy, who played Helen Daniels in Nasus. Of course, yeah. And also he died in 2014, so rest in peace, James Condon. Yeah, well, he was very good at swinging golf clubs into the back of his station wagon. (laughs) (laughs) He'll be forever remembered for that, yeah. Well, I definitely enjoyed it and I, and I think it's uh, the type of thing that you, you see nowadays in, the, in this daytime TV, the really bad ads for real insurance and these... Oh, God, yes. ...talking about, yeah. oh, I think I need some life insurance. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got one of those. Oh, yeah, let's, if, let's if call them now. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if they were doing a late show nowadays, yeah, it would definitely be those two minutes... Mm. Um, acting lessons uh, that, that appear during the daytime on a digital multi-channel, definitely. The first instalment of the olden days. Yay. Yay. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like it, you're halfway through the episode at this stage and then you get the olden days. Your head would have exploded with like, what is this? It's hilarious. You know, like it's so great. And thankfully that, that theme song um, sort of uh, does a, a bit of the, the heavy lifting at first, I think, especially because... As far as I can tell, that first part of the theme song refers to stuff that doesn't exist because it references men come from Cooper's Crossing. Now, Cooper's Crossing, does anybody know what that is? Well, it, it's, um, it was from the Flying Doctors and, and it's a fictional yeah. town. Yeah. Wow. And then from, from Darwin in the South? It's not in the South, people. Now, the, the Dusty Plains of Innisfail, 
Uh, Innisfail, according to Wikipedia, is well-renowned for sugar and banana industries as well as for being one of Australia's wettest towns. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely not dusty. And then I, I had to quickly look, at, look this up, uh, the, the Murrumbidgee's mouth. It's technically, it links up with the Murray River near Boundary Bend, which is on the boundary of New South Wales and Victoria. So there's not really... There's not really a mouth of the Murrumbidgee either. I love that there's so many layers to the comedy. Yeah, who knew after yeah. all this time that we could still be dissecting all of these lyrics <laughs> and actually finding <laughs> meanings and, wow, the power of the internet. Well, <laughs> Back then all I was all I found funny was, uh, oh, that's that guy from Play School. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who we don't even see in this episode. No, that's right. Yeah, I was looking out for him and thought, hey, he's not here. As far as the olden days go, I don't think this is a particularly strong episode like there no, are much funnier no. episodes it was more it, like it, 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 opens, it opens well with that platform shoes gate though that goes down a street you know what i never yeah. really understood that joke until years later and when it was on the dvd and i'm I just thought it was just a throwaway line, platform shoes, until I actually looked at his feet and realised that... He's that, standing on the stumps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, I feel so dumb. <laughs> Comedy magic now is the commercial Crime Stoppers where Mick and Santo would break down late-night ads that they discover or viewers would submit. And in this case, it was... The first one up was the Medieval Fair in Birdwood. Mm. Hooray! I love yeah, commercial so crime stuff. Adelaide represent. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that ad. I, I don't know if Daniel remembers the, the, I mean, I've certainly been to the Birdwood Mill and they used to have the Medieval Fair every year and I think I remember seeing ads for that. I don't know if you remember those, Daniel. I, I never went to the Medieval Fair. I vaguely re- remember the, the ad... Um, yeah, not not through uh, commercial crime stoppers, but yeah, when when you get an ad that starts with "Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye," <laughs> in a bad in a bad Cockney accent, you, you you don't tend to forget that. <laughs> Ross Warnicky had quite a long column in the next Green Guide after episode one, uh, mostly talking about maybe reading a good book rather than watching the Olympics. But uh, he he took time out from that to talk about that even the new ABC offerings uh, didn't have much going for them. So this is uh, part of his review. Mel Smith and Griff Reese jones are back, as outrageous as ever, but the D-Generation's new live D-Gen The Late Show following the Brits at 10pm is a disappointment. There were signs of hope in last weekend's premiere, the skits on presidential hopeful Bill Clinton and the posers who have emerged in recent weeks to claim long and lasting friendships with the late Brett Whiteley were hilarious. But otherwise, D-Gen The Late Show had about it the feel of a poorly resourced undergrad review. Scripts desperately in need of pruning, cheap shots at predictable targets, Prince Charles and the Pope, and a tendency to confuse irreverence with offensiveness, as in the joke about last week's horrible incident in which a pony's head was nailed to the door of a Melbourne nightclub. Pity, because TV needs a vibrant live show late on Saturday. Dear Gender Late Show, at least in its present form, lacks vitality. Hey, guys, this isn't radio. And there is no variety, just skit after skit after skit. The show needs music guests and some feeling of it really being Saturday night. Last week's show could have been recorded on Thursday morning. In the meantime, how about a good book? Unquote. So I remember that review as being much harsher than what you've just read out. At the time, I remember it being quite sort of... I wouldn't say scandalous, but people were sort of appalled that he was taking this massive swing. But from what you've just read out, I'd kind of go, yeah, you know, I don't agree, but he could have gone harder. 
Yeah, I think I think a lot of what he says in that actually I, I would agree with. I mean, it it does have the feel of a poorly resourced undergraduate review because it because they make a lot of there's a lot of technical errors in the first show and they make mistakes. So I think I think that's reasonable. And and they do improve a lot in, in episode two. The other point I think is really interesting is where he talks about needing a bit of like music and variety. And it, and it's interesting because they actually take that on board in the sense that they have those toilet breaks, you know, which come to the show later. So you do get a bit more variety away from just skit, skit, skit. I kind of feel that Ross was really wanting the big gig again, essentially. Yes, it's it's a very old-fashioned view of variety. It's like, you know... Oh, definitely, yeah. Once you want musical guests, the next is why don't we have Daryl Summers up the front interviewing a few stars and then get onto the magic tricks. I mean... <laughs> That's what's so deeply yeah. annoying about that review is that he's given it all of, you know, one episode and he's just aimed fire and it's just like so irritating and particularly because there wasn't, I mean, first of all, he ended up being famously wrong ads, you know. Who needs a critic in that review when the show ended up being amazing and we're still talking about it like 30 years later. But it, it there were so few examples of that kind of show on Australian television made by Australians, you know, that was really punching above its weight, went for a bloody hour, which is epic, and, you know, and he just slapped it down. He could have just put in a few more choice words to be a bit more, we'll see, or, you know, this bit was great and I'm really oh, angry about it. Do you think it, it was telling that, um, that, that uh, Ross was a fan of the Who Knew Brett Best sketch? Yeah, <laughs> Well, you know, I love that one. <laughs> Good idea, Ross. <laughs> I mean, I think I think what that shows really is that that Ross Warnicky, as Tony said before, is is over a lot of things. You know, he he writes about sport, he writes about arts programs, he writes about comedy, drama, documentaries, he, lifestyle programs. He is writing about everything, so he, he is sort of across it all. So it just shows that he's literate in the form of television. I think. I think this is a harsh review, but but I also think. As you know, it's an it's an out of date attitude as to what comedy variety is, and and actually, you know, there are problems with the first episode of the Late Show, and it gets better over time, and it becomes you know what it what it's going to be. But if you're reviewing the first episode, you don't know what it's going to be, so this, this is a reasonable reaction to to one episode of the program, but also. His, his attitude is quite old-fashioned. He he basically wants the two Ronnies, which, you know, pauses the sketch so, so they can have a sad <laughs> variety act on. You know, it's, yeah, it's it's an old-fashioned point of view and, and they're coming at, at it from a younger, fresher angle and he just doesn't get that yet. Yeah, it's, it's very much the kind of review you expect a show like The Late Show, which was sort of looking forward and established a new sort of trends and era in Australian comedy, in a way, this is the review you expect to get from a show that is actually out there breaking new ground and doing new things. If he'd been, on, if the critics had been on board, it probably would have been nice for you know the DGen for a couple of weeks to get some glowing reviews. But it probably would have been a bad sign that they weren't making the kind of show that they should have been making. Oh, a bad review is a good sign. Well, for this in kind this of thing, you want to be ahead of the reviewers. You want the reviewers to be sort of struggling and saying. Well, you know, hey, hey, it's Saturday, it's set the benchmark. Why isn't it doing that? And you want to be the show that goes, no, that was five, ten years ago. This is what people want now. Yeah. Hey, Daniel, did he give it a star rating? 
No, 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 he, he didn't. Like, it's it's sort of just a regular column that he would do about, well, about everything in TV, really. The only sort of overall sentiment uh, is uh, back on his uh, critical look on Saturday where he puts next to the listening for the late show. Um, plenty of room for improvement after last week's premiere. Because the only thing better than a five-star review is a one-star review. That yes. you can take to the bank. That's gold. <laughs> I feel like that's that's a dangerous thing to say when we're looking for reviews for our podcast. <laughs> we have commercial crime stoppers. One in 20 Australians may suffer from psychiatric disorder in their own ad. And that's uh, where yes. we're oh, The man baby. What are you doing? Ken <laughs> <laughs> Bruce has gone mad. Ken uh, Bruce has gone mad. Ken <laughs> Bruce has gone mad. Ken Bruce has gone mad. Ken yeah. Bruce has gone completely mad. Sorry, just had to get that in. <laughs> had to get it out of your system. Yeah. Well, this was fairly late in the Ken Bruce saga because his twin sister Madonna took a while to come along from what I remember of, you know, the Ken Bruce saga going through the 80s and 90s. Yeah, there was a Ken Bruce saga, wasn't there? It was like he was, you know, he was going under, he needed help, so he, so he was recruiting yeah, assistance. The twin sister Madonna was like, and then there was another relative at some point towards the end. I dimly recalled some other, like a third party coming in, taking over after Madonna had failed to lift sales or whatever. I, I went into his store a couple of times on Chapel Street and I'm impressed that he had the money to make ads because it really just seemed like a shed full of white goods. Oh, and they were shit white goods too. They were re um, reconditioned. So it basically yeah. was just a terrible op shop. And yeah, no, <laughs> I don't know how he got those ads on telly. And yeah, it's like, new uh, secondhand furniture. <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> and it was like in, you know, this inner city part of Melbourne, but it was this just like, I don't think it had a dirt floor, but it felt like it should have. It was just concrete. I remember it. <laughs> so weird that it was on Chapel Street, you know, the height of Melbourne fashion. <laughs> and you've got Ken Bruce going mad on the corner there. Well, it was down on the dodgy end, but, yeah, it was just, I don't know. I mean, the Late Show, I guess, really sort of helped put him over the top, but just so many ads on late-night television for so long for just this dodgy furniture where <laughs> white goods shed. One thing I really love about this um, part of commercial Crime Stoppers is you really start to see the Late Show using audience participation, like starting to get a little bit more interactive. And I think that's where it really hit its stride because people were like, oh, yeah, I love that, and they'd send in their letters and stuff and and the guys would use it and, and um, you know, put, put to air some of these great finds. We have former ABC Brisbane radio presenter, media and comedy junkie Spencer Housen and his wife, national manager of giveit.org.au, Nikki Housen. Hello. Hey, welcome. Hey. Tell everyone your connection with the DJ and the Late Show. How did you stumble upon this comedy troupe? I was living in a share house in Brisbane, one of those when you have far too many people living in the house for fire safety laws, but I guess we won't go into that, how many people are actually living in each room. Did any of them go on to become famous radio presenters? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't referring oh, to myself, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <clears throat> I was referring to maybe was there an, any, it doesn't matter. So um, very rare to actually be home alone, but um, home alone one night... Um, um, we didn't have any furniture in the TV room, so you'd sit on the carpet with your beer to actually watch the telly and um, flicked on the ABC and this um, show came on and it was like, oh, 
this is, I like this. Um, and then the next weekend just happened, it was on again. So exciting, opened up a whole new world. So thank you, Late Show. <laughs> what year was that? Was that 92, the first year of the Late Show? Yes. Well, we met on, on Anzac Day 1992. Mm. She thought I was an arrogant so-and-so and we didn't <laughs> talk for the rest of that year. That is accurate, yes. <laughs> okay, good. I was just giving you some right of reply there, but I don't know that I needed to because it was against me. Um, and then we started dating on the 4th of March, 93, and then... Very soon after that, I moved to Rockhampton. Eventually, Nikki moved to Rockhampton as well the following February. But I, I, my distinct memory of the, the Late Show was from 93. And it was, it was a show that we would watch seven, seven hours apart, seven hours drive apart and talk on the phone beforehand, talk on the phone after. And um, Birds of a Feather was the, the warm-up show, if I'm not mistaken. But I don't know. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I do not know whether I ever saw the show go out in 92. Clearly there are, because we, we've had the Champagne Comedy DVD box set for many years, there are some sketches from that first year that we would be very familiar with. But having watched episode three in preparation for today's podcast, I don't know that I've ever seen it before. But not but the 93 series, we would have watched, yeah, either apart or when we were lucky enough to be in the, in the same place, we would have watched that whole series. So The Late Show together. was a very important part of your early relationship. Well, it was. No, absolutely. Well, it sounds was. like yeah. I can claim that I introduced you to it. Yeah, claim it. That, yeah. Yes. That's Good what, work. That's <laughs> and of course, yeah, we, we have become hooked on anything produced by those guys or anyone, you know, associated with them over the years. And, and you know, I've got Tony Martin on a poster behind me in my, my office, which is actually too much information here, but it is actually um, also our bedroom. So effectively, <laughs> Tony Martin is on the wall. Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> is this what I get to say as well, that my Jane Kennedy girl crush continues to this day? That's a given. <laughs> How to make a television commercial, and that is by using an annoying jingle. I did release a little soundbite, which I'll play here. So that commercial, that ring TV commercial had three <laughs> guys in it doing that whole dance, you know, install a ream. So from there, they've used that as a major ream parody. I can probably still sing it today. It's, it's that era where you just have these jingles <laughs> that get stuck in your head. And ream, when you think of hot water systems, you usually think of ream, right? And even though they were taking the piss out of it and saying these songs are so annoying and they'll go on and on and on, they actually are such an earworm that they stick with you forever. Yeah. And it was a successful campaign there. All yeah. these years on, I did sing that jingle when I watched that clip. So it's, uh, yeah, incredible yeah, how yes. some things do just <laughs> cement in your head. So well done to whoever wrote that and created that as an advertising gig at the time. Yeah, <laughs> well done. I really like the props as well. I mean, the, the hot water, the cylinders that fall on them. <laughs> Very simple but effective. This is a, a, a sketch that took me took me by surprise. I mean, obviously I've seen it a million times, but I was like, oh, I have no memory of employ three docs, employ three docs. Like I've got, oh, this is like one of those hidden gems that we've never seen again. It's the crap, 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 crap. <laughs> Now, I don't know if it went for all, all the other parts of Australia, but in Sydney, I know something that rivaled uh, <laughs> Ream or the, with a commercial, and that was Alcan. Did anyone have Alcan in yeah. the state? Oh, we are the boys oh. from Alcan. I don't remember having Alcan in Adelaide, but I I did think of those yeah, ads as yeah. well because yeah, the three the three dorks yeah. do look very similar. Wasn't there to a reference from to the Alcan yeah. in the uh, when they went to the shopping centre and the guy selling the carpets? What was that? They they said something. 
Charcoal. Oh, no, no, that was copper I'm getting my hands confused now. Paul Cool, Carpet Cool, the experts in the trade. Oh, see, Alison, you've been in London for what, 20 <laughs> that's years? That's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Carpet Cool. It's kind of like, give, give me a child until they are seven. It, it's a bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved I how you someone who remembers the Carpet Cool ad. So, so you know. <laughs> I loved how you dropped your voice lower when you sang that line as well. <laughs> well, you know, you, you've got to try and do it right. The Barcelona Newsreader Games. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the rating on uh, how to pronounce Bach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pronunciations. Now, uh, Spencer, this would be your forte, wouldn't it? Well, I actually remember, I mean, this is obviously a, a hat tip to what SBS were doing at the time with Mary Kostakidis and George Tanikian as the main readers, probably around that time, or maybe they had been. And I actually remember interviewing Mary Kostakidis probably within a year of this, probably even that that year for Reading Radio or, or 4RPH as it was called at the time where I was working community radio. And I asked her, like, how do you, how much effort goes into getting the pronunciations right of, uh, of these um, names? Because if you watched SBS then, George, I mean, George Tanikian uh, especially were just, the, the, the guttural pronunciation was, I don't, don't know if it was accurate, but it was to behold. And I remember her saying to me, it's my job. And if you and basically she knew I was sort of wanting to get into the media at that time, and I, she pretty much said to me, "If you if you want it to be your job, you get the pronunciations right." That was what that was her answer to that. Uh, just before we move on, I'm going to poke a bit of a hole in this sketch, um, in that the degeneration are good at comedy, but they're crap at maths. Because you might remember that for each newsreader's pronunciation of Barcelona, they put scores along the uh, the bottom of the screen. They actually get the totals wrong for two out of the three newsreaders. Probably do. Yeah, Daniel Day is going to notice this. I reckon that's intentional. I reckon that's like this. Really? Yeah, they're always doing things like that. Like there's a sketch coming up later with Tony and his grand and like the funniest part of that sketch is the credits that go really quickly up the screen. So I reckon that's intentional. You reckon they didn't get those titles on just to piss off pedants like me? Or <laughs> Are you keeping a list of all these questions for when you get these guys on the podcast? I hope you are. <laughs> <laughs> Question 47 in episode 14. The next instalment of the olden days, episode three, Front Bottom's Iron Fist. This Irish convict joke. All right, so there's a Cobb and Co coach and he gets his lips burnt on the exhaust pipe. Exhaust pipe. What does that trying mean? I don't blo- get it. Try, no, 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 trying to blow it up. Oh. By blowing into the exhaust Oh, pipe. I'm so stupid. Yeah, it was during the, the IRA was, uh, it was a joke that we said at school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember this joke. It was when the IRA bombings was, were still happening. I remember this joke was being um, said at school. It was basically, instead of a stagecoach, it was a car, so... Yeah, that, there that we old go. joke. Through, you will sleep so much better tonight after all the things that I've <laughs> It's a joke that doesn't work because it's being used on a stagecoach that doesn't have a tailpipe. So, yes, obviously, 100 years from now, they'll be pissing themselves. Basically, whenever there's an Irish joke in comedy, the punchline is the Irish person is stupid. That That's uh, the punchline. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> a review from uh, August the 3rd, somehow promoting this upcoming episode, a bit of a backhanded review, really, from Robin Oliver in the Sydney Morning Herald. So he writes, The degeneration and honoured name in comedy since an ABC scout discovered the company working the university circuit in Melbourne has been copying flat for this new series. The criticism is deserved, for it is a very sloppy production, 
ill-conceived and poorly directed. These agreeable young people hit the screen with the high-octane spirit. Uh, there was a terrific opening sketch involving a dozy Charles and a suicidal Diana. God, they're talking about that sketch again. Uh, a couple of characters write for lampooning, and there have been other good moments. But an hour is a long time for unrelieved sketch-style humour. No other program that comes to mind attempts such a marathon, not even the noisy and muddled The Big Gig, which translates poorly to screen and is much funnier live in the ABC's Ripley Studios. This critic, thinning on top, will no doubt be accused of suffering from some sort of degenerated gap. But almost any comedy properly done can win my smiles. I have a soft spot for dinosaurs. Just love those tales. God, he loves dinosaurs. I believe I am not too far off course in suggesting that two young men yelling dickhead, dickhead, dickhead is desperately unfunny. Oh, um, he then says salams to Jason Stevens, Tony Martin, Jane Kennedy, Rob Stitch, Sando Chalero, Tom Kleisner and Mick Malloy. But I urge the ABC to preserve their talent by cutting this program to 30 minutes. Uh, Magda Zhubansky, Michael Veach, and that incomparable uh, straight face, Mark Downey, are all alumni of the original Degeneration. Discipline is all this lot needs to follow in their adventurous footsteps. So, well, a very disjointed review there. What yeah. paper was that in? Uh, Sydney Morning Herald. No, more. Critics in the early 90s seem to be absolutely obsessed with wanting to get back to the good old days of variety, you know, where halfway through the show some some sort of middle-of-the-road singer will come on and, and do something, sing some dreadful song. You know, um, yeah, it's they just, they just sort of don't really quite get this, do they? I was listening to some other um, reviewers the other day talking about how now they're pressured to watch like a whole series or even like multiple series <laughs> before they review something. And I wish a bit of, of that pressure had been applied to these ancient dinosaurs who were reviewing shows in the 90s because, honestly, if they were reviewing after episode four, which is an absolute banger, they would have got the show. Like I just don't think they're at all fair. And instead of sort of giving it a go, they've just completely burned it down. And said dumb things, like, how old is this person? Like, it sounds like they're ancient. Like, don't they get that people like Mark Downey and Michael and that they've moved on to other projects? Like, oh, it's just nuts. It, it does seem like the review was only written after after watching episode one because, yeah, the, the only stuff that's referenced from the show seems to be from that first episode. So <laughs> that very opening sketch with Charles and Di and two young men yelling, dickhead, 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 that was from episode one as well. So he, he, I, I don't think he had watched episodes two or three. Well, he retired from The Guide in 2008. He's passed away now. Uh, he passed away in 2011. It says, Robin Oliver uh, saw his first television transmission in 1937. That's not right. <laughs> uh, well, must have been a test if it was in the 30s. Yeah. Unless, like unless, unless it was in Britain or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, here we go. Uh, yeah, so Robin George Owen Oliver saw his first television transmission in 1937 in Croydon, Surrey, where Grant's uh, department store had yeah. a demonstration model on display in its shop front. So that gives you a rough idea on how. That sounds like he was 70. Is that right? If I I'd, got my math yeah, right? Yeah, I'd say that. I'd say so. Yeah. For God's yeah. sake. So his, he saw his first transmission in, in the 1930s and he probably didn't like that transmission either. <laughs> <laughs> Barry and Jeff Shout of Shout Motors. This was one of my favourite bits because I, I must have taped this episode. I remember this episode really, really strongly and I think 
there are so many segments in it that are like best bits, you know. And this was one of my favourite segments for umpteen years. I just loved it. And I'm not really quite sure why. It's pretty simple, but I think it's just the insane like positions of Rob and Mick in the car yard. Like sometimes one of them's in front of the car and one of them's at the back and then they swap and then all of a sudden Jane comes in and she's virtually just corpsing on camera. Like it's just a classic. (laughs) Weren't cars terrible back then? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was so boxy. But, yeah, you're right, Prue, they really, really get the way the ads like that were made because all these kind of local car dealer ads, they were all shot like that and they they play up the, the sort of the style brilliantly in this. It took me back to there was these old commercials uh, that ran in Sydney for like 70s, 80s, 90s, but I remember from the 90s, and there was Tony Packard from Tony Packard Holden just up Windsor Road from Balcom Hills and let me do it right for you, but he's always yelling at the let screen. Let me do it right, right for, for you. you. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and there was Dominelli Ford. Yeah. That had a jingle to it, I think, so. Yeah, car yeah. salesmen were so desperate in the 90s. Remember that guy with the big pencil? Did you get that ad? Oh, maybe it was a Melbourne ad, but it was insane. I think, I think, I think we, we get to see it a bit later on in the uh, commercial oh, yeah. crime stop is that one. <laughs> oh, the drive yeah. prop, dude, yeah. <laughs> we had to endure about a decade of ads by Bob Moran. My apologies <laughs> yeah. if I've just... Bob, 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 Bob. Oh, no. <laughs> Do not get this into people's heads, Daniel. <laughs> Bob Moran, wherever he is. I also like that they managed to slip into the sketch the phrase... Don't you white? Don't you white folk listen? <laughs> really? I missed that. <laughs> what is that a reference to? Does anybody remember what that's from? No. 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 That was uh, ads for Campbell's Cash and Carry, starring oh. Delilah. Why? 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 Delilah. Remember the the, the yeah black yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. Why? 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 Delilah. I don't think it was a national ad, but um, I remember that. Well, yeah, that was in I Sydney. Am. Yeah. I was just um, spellbound by the glory of Rob's wig in that sketch. It's an an absolute banger. Mark Raking, and this is where the soundbite comes in from the teaser. If you subscribe, you would have heard this earlier. Oh, well, there's no I more really want to hear more. I really want to hear more. No. <laughs> Lately, I've just been hearing that bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first bit of the Hey Dad theme song. Somebody tweeted, um, oh, I don't have the credit, I'm sorry, but somebody tweeted this amazing thing where they just kept repeating those few bars and yeah. it was like, hey, Dad, that never reaches a conclusion. It was like the most <laughs> torturous thing. Was it, I think Tony might have retweeted Oh, that. he must have. Muck Raking was all about hey, Dad, uh, how it was dropped. It all started with it being removed from the programming due to the Olympics, which is quite normal, but it doesn't give them enough jokes to milk for the late show, really. So this is where they shine a light on the little fake kid some appreciation goes out to Matthew Croc, who I'm trying to get onto the podcast, by the way. So, Matthew, if you're listening, please contact us. We'd love to have you on. What they're trying to do is because Hey Dad's not on TV, they're trying to give out their copies of VHS tapes of Hey Dad to the community to keep people actively viewing. Oh, uh, I love the way this joke kept escalating. Like it mm. started with a handout on the street <laughs> and and then, then they were throwing tapes at people's houses from a moving car and then they were <laughs> dropping them from a helicopter. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. 
Imagine, imagine if you were in some war-torn region because a lot of stuff was happening around the world and this, oh, here's some food. Oh, no, it's just Hey Dad tapes. <laughs> Jace had been a bit of an arsehole because he appeared on Sale of the Century for the comedian special, wasn't it? That was Red, uh, Face, the Red Faces Penguin sketch. What it was was there was a compilation of um, the best of Red Faces and, and they did a, a section in that program about some of the people who'd gone on to become quite well-known celebrities. And Jason apparently had done this sort of this act which involved him basically dressing up as, as a penguin. But he'd done this on Red Faces in, I think, the 1980s, so mm. before he was famous for being in the D-Gen and the Late Show. And, and so that was shown on this special. A fairy and, penguin. You know, this, yeah, and because, you know, because of the, the Penguin sketch being on that week, he suddenly became this showbiz asshole. And there's this whole <laughs> about, about how he's got this amazing dressing room full of celebrities. Then we see Peter Couchman. Yeah, Peter Couchman. <laughs> Peter Couchman's one of those people who is like in my memory, but I cannot remember why. Like he was, was he like the Tony Jones of the 90s? Was he just... Yeah, he's on a TV cool show. Yeah, he had, a, he had a program which was kind of like a prototype version of Q&A and it was called Couchman and they would have like a big audience in and they would just have, sort of discuss like a topical issue. That's right. It was like Q&A, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a, for, a forum in program. In fact, uh, the best and worst of Red Faces and Couchman were both on the same night, um, the Wednesday before the episode. Ugh. Ah. <laughs> Well, that's when, yeah, Tony and Mick had gone to Jace's dressing room and that's when they walk in and one of the most famous lines from it, let's run over Todd from Neighbours. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good good little callback to the very first episode too. They'd clearly gone to one of Melbourne's slightly fancier hotels to film that, but, I've, yeah, yes. I've visited a bunch of those hotels to do interviews for, for work and stuff over the years. But they all have that same sort of generic golden polished sort of decor. So I was trying to figure out if it was there's a fancy one just near Parliament House that would have been quite new around that time and it looked a lot like that, but I couldn't tell you for sure which one they'd gone to to visit the presidential suite. So what, you're saying when they left the studio door and they walked down the corridor, there was some... Magic of television. Magic of television, yeah. Trickery. The camera sort of goes across the backs of Tony and Mick and I think it's about there that that's where the join is between ABC Studios and the presidential suite. Well, get out the best bits of the Late Show DVD and you can see it in glorious high standard definition where they do that little bit of a zoom into, I believe, would have been Mick's back. Very clever. And then uh, then they go into the bedroom there's... uh, Good old celebrity stooge Philip Brady jumping on the bed. Oh, I love and yelling Brady. Shazam! Shazam! <laughs> jumps up and down on the bed, which I just love. I just love the sort of the gleeful, you know, joyfulness of, of that. Like, you know, he like he's a ten year old boy or something. It's great. Does anyone know how old Philip Brady would have been at that point? He looks about fifty odd, doesn't he? I think he's eighty one. Or so so now, that he would so have been like 58, 59. Because I remember at the yeah. time thinking, oh, he's kind of old and then I'm now approaching that age myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he was, so Philip Brady was born in 1939, which makes him currently 81 years old. So, yeah, he would have uh, been. There we go. 
all, the, all, that, time, all that time listening to Remember When on 3AW has paid off. <laughs> <laughs> George Bush also agreed to an interview. And so you cue to Rob as George Bush chatting to Tom and George, quote Rob, admits that he met her once on studs. And that's where all the studs jokes start uh-huh. happening. Yeah, and that really takes me back, doesn't it? I love this because, you know, yeah, I love the studs reference because I remember studs being on TV, not for very long. It didn't last very long, as I recall. But but basically the concept was it was a dating show and and if the women liked the men, they would give them a little love heart which they would stick with Velcro onto the leg of their trousers. And so (laughs) by by the end of the program... Yeah, by the end of the program, the man who had the most of these love hearts stuck on their trousers was the winner. I, I think I think that's what the concept was. So, yeah, George Bush had obviously been on studs because he had quite a few of the love hearts, I noticed. <laughs> yeah. So it was basically Perfect Match. but we Yeah, it, it yeah. was a kind of updated 90s version of Perfect Match. It was a bit more M-rated. Yeah. Yeah. They had a few oh, yeah. more... Entendres and some, yeah, like as you see in this particular example, the three things um, that he kissed me more powerfully than Air Force One. I was his first lady that night and his second. And then uh, the president certainly had his finger on the button. So <laughs> were the three things and you had to kind of guess who, who said that um, and then they get the love heart if they get it right. So My favourite part in the, of this whole bit of Ross, uh, Rob's um, impression was when Tommy G sort of says, okay, we've got to go now, and Rob goes, okay. Understanding Wogs with Santo. Now, I'm only saying Wogs because that was the name of the segment. Just a Look, bit I, of a I, my, my dad's side of the family is Northern Italian, so I, I give you my blessing. You can, you can use that <laughs> word, at least around me. Thank you. And, and, and just for, for those listening, Daniel G has just done the kind of the crossing. <laughs> uh, so it was a genuine blessing there. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this one is one of the most famous uh, sketches because they go around uh, Uncle Alberto's house. So the topic is about architecture or, as defined by the Italia-Australian Dictionary, hey, Mr. Builder, you do good job, I'll pay your cash. <laughs> <laughs> that accent, uh, not so much. Yeah. You, you're Germans are aperture Italian, it's sort of, it's getting a bit Asian, I think. Uh, okay, I'll just <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I know that Uncle Alberto's house was a bit of a uh, landmark. A lot of people knew where it was in Melbourne and would do a drive-by. Oh, that's hilarious. It, it's, a, it's a unique sort of house. I, I remember houses um, of a similar type being built around Adelaide by, um, you know, Italians and Greeks and so forth who, who'd suddenly made enough money to build that kind of house. But, you know, getting to see inside these houses is... It, it feels like a real privilege and, and an entry into a very weird world that, you know, I mean, the audience absolutely seem to be killing themselves laughing at, at the various features of Uncle Alberto's house. So, you know, the the lounge suite and the rotating light and, and the onyx table. It's an onyx. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's graded higher than marble. Yeah, graded higher than marble. It's a set, completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's balustrade. It's a balustrade made from a concrete. Uh, <laughs> as yeah. yeah, and it was painted with painted with a wood finish. This uh, concrete that was That's up near very the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually googled the, the guy that he said did the ceiling and the house, and it seems like it is actually a, a real guy. So anyone found some information? Apparently, there was a he passed away in 2011 or thereabouts. Ah, but my, I was going to ask if he's still kicking. 
hopefully that means that his uh, his uh, ceiling uh, painting uh, has gone up in value. Yeah. I mean, you know, I imagine there's a preservation order on that ceiling now, you know, the National Trust <laughs> because it, it's a sort of Australian Michelangelo. Commercial Crime Stoppers with Mick and Santo and my favourite, Thigh Blaster, <laughs> Thunder Thighs. That's the best. Yes. Beware, the following ad contains acid wash jeans, a Groucho Marx face and the pissiest wolf whistle you've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and all those things are so true. It's like tick, tick, tick as you watch it. Unfortunately, I don't have the audio grab of Thunder Thighs, but I'll prepare that. Thunder Thighs. Yes, Thunder Thighs. Surely you could drop the grab into, uh, into the podcast and post-production here. Thunder Thighs. Yes, there we go. Everyone applause. Yay! <laughs> Toilet break with the Thor Kingsman. Yay! Doing Green Door. Tony refers to, you know, the Thor Kingsman, which one uh, was dating or married to fairly Arrow, and he was saying that it might have been the Mustachio one. Now, the one that looks like Ian Turpy. Yes. Okay, yeah. well, this is where I dove into the Four Kingsmen rabbit hole and my YouTube, res- <laughs> my YouTube suggestions are now dominated with Four Kingsmen stuff. I really had to dive into the Fairly Arrow stuff too. And uh, you know what? I'm based on the Gold Coast. I am down the motorway from the actual town and country motel where Fairly Arrow hit out. So, oh. yeah, every time we drove past it, I go, yeah, that's Fairly Arrow theme park. So now <laughs> we've got now George Harvey was married to Fairley and the moustache guy was Spencer Whiteley. So the people who actually starred in that clip were George Fay, who's unfortunately deceased, Peter Fay, Spencer, and uh, Adrian Mahoney. Um, now they were in the clip, but not the person who was married to Fairley. So, like, I don't understand. Is this another clip from the Saturday show? Like, who were the four kinsmen when they were at home? Never heard of them. It's it's certainly from something very pissy and ABC-like. How would they get the rights to something that wasn't ABC? It, it must be ABC. Now, the clip uh, that they showed was actually from a uh, four kinsmen special that was shown on the ABC. Ah. Uh, because <laughs> it also mashes in with... There was, there was a whole hour of this? Oh. Like, why? Who are they and Why? <laughs> This is insane. Yeah, well, that it also mashed in with the Peter Gunn theme and there's a big song and dance routine as well. So it actually the version that they showed was even longer and it was from a 1979 mm-hmm. ABC TV special, Just The Way We Are. Oh, no. and, uh, okay, gee, I wonder what Billy Joel song they would have sung in that one, yes. <laughs> Graham and the Colonel, the Olympics. So uh, sponsors behind the Australian Olympic team would be very happy. Uh, how prestigious it is to sponsor an injured athlete, really. <laughs> and uh, was it two, two bronze medals out of seventy-nine track and field? Yeah. It was a little bit mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wasn't yeah, this the I mean, Olympics that was so we did so poorly? They st- set up the Australian Sports Institute, possibly. Yeah, there, there was one we did so badly at that they just kind of went, "We've got to get our acting gear and set up a, an actual sports school and stuff." It's almost certainly wrong. I know nothing about sport. When did Kellogg's Sustain come out? <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to the best of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. If you were part of the Late Show or were part of the audience and have some behind-the-scenes stories you'd love to legally share, send us an email, champagnelateshow at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Say good day to us as well, just to know that you're listening to this podcast by going to facebook.com champagne comedy or send us a tweet at TLS Champagne. Once again, I'm Matt. Catch you on the next episode of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au. Champagne.